Welcome to Women Working Ahead, the show where working women provide honest insights into their different industries by sharing all the ups, downs, and messy bits in between of their daily lives. I'm your host, Sierra Mercer. Welcome back to a new episode of the Women Working Ahead podcast. I'm your host, Sierra Mercer. Very exciting episode today. This is actually part one of two with part two either coming out next week or the week after, depending on how things go. And it's just because, honestly, with this guest, I had so we had so much to talk about. And I decided that instead of doing one super long episode, I would kind of split it up into two and focus on a few key areas in each one or a couple key points in each one. So Hopefully that's all right with you guys, um, but definitely stay tuned for part two that we, that will be coming out soon. So for part one and two, I am joined by professional engineer turned entrepreneur and mentor, published author and career success expert, Stephanie Slocum. My name is Stephanie Slocum. I am the founder of Engineers Rising LLC. Uh, I am a mom and author of a book called She Engineers an entrepreneur and my background. So I spent 15 years in the building construction industry. So I have two engineering degrees uh, in architectural engineering. So I designed the parts of buildings that that held them up. Um, So I did that for 15 years. uh, And then two years ago, I resigned from my, I was essentially one level below an ownership position at the firm I was working in. uh, And I resigned from that to focus on mentoring and helping other women in engineering specifically. most of the time, which is like the best job (laughs) ever. So Engineers Rising supports women in engineering and in really any career that you happen to be in. And they provide virtual mentorship and seminar programs to help you on your journey to success in your Uh, professional career. So they also provide working women with a really strong peer support group and valuable tools and resources so we can all be unstoppable in our respective fields. So definitely go and check out engineersrising.com for more details on that. And as Stephanie mentioned previously, she is also the author of the book, She Engineers, Outsmart Bias, Unlock Your Potential, and Create the Engineering Career of Your Dreams. And it's a fantastic book. It is available on Amazon.ca and Amazon.com. So it's also featured as a fantastic audiobook on Audible. So if you're like me and you want to, you know, multitask or something, I highly recommend checking it out. Honestly, even with part one and part two, we cover only a few topics from this book. And there's just so much great advice in there. So I highly recommend you go and pick up a copy. So before we jumped into things, um, jumped into kind of the main part of the interview, um, one of the first questions I asked Stephanie right off the bat was actually why she decided to write the book in the first place. The, the story there is that, so I fall into the the camp of people that like never thought they were going to start their own company. Like I had no desire to be like, I'm going to be a business owner someday. Like that wasn't in my, my life plan. And we're going to talk about that a lot today about how your kind of life plans mm-hmm. uh, change a lot. <laughs> um, but anyway, so 
one of the things that I love to do, uh, and even when I was working in technical design, is helping to mentor other engineers. Uh, I'd also had a lifelong dream of writing a book. Um, and so uh, I had a couple kind of like personal things going on in that like we lost some family members earlier than expected. And you know how we always think we're going to get to do some certain things on our list someday. Yep. Uh, someday we're going to get to doing this. So <laughs> one of the things that, that was on my someday list was to write a book. Um, and so one day my, my oldest daughter, so I have three children. Uh, at the time I wrote the book, they were nine, five, and two. Uh, they're currently sixth grade, fourth grade, and first grade. Um, but my oldest daughter came home from school and she's like, we're doing this book writing project. And somehow we got to talking about the fact that uh, mom, me, had always wanted to write a book. And my daughter's like, I mean, I'm always telling my daughters to be like, challenge yourself, like, you know, do things. And so I got called out by my, at the time, second grader. <laughs> and she's like, well, well, you're always telling me to do this. Well, why don't you start now? Mm -hmm. um, and so I started putting all that mentoring stuff uh, into a book that became She Engineers. Uh, and I published that in, and I wrote it like in my, I, I'm going to put free time in quotes. I know they can't see free time. In quotes. Yeah, free time um, in quotes. Because I had no free time, yeah. uh, but I wrote it anyways. Um, so it came out in, in 2018 while I was working more than full-time hours for uh, an employer. Uh, as soon as it came out, I got asked to go speak for uh, young professionals and women in STEM groups. Mm -hmm. uh, and I pretty quickly realized that, that doing both, like the, the engineering technical stuff and doing stuff with the mentoring and speaking and traveling around was not going to be a sustainable path for me. Um, and so I looked at it and said, okay, where can I have the most impact in this industry? Uh, and for me, that was a pretty obvious, obvious answer, obvious choice. Yes. Um, and so I resigned from my engineering position, like I said, this mm -hmm. was like two and a half years ago at this point, uh, to focus on doing this full time where we do like online courses and programs uh, specifically to help women in STEM. You mentioned that you went to school for architectural engineering. Now, is that a specialized discipline off of civil engineering? I get that question a lot. <laughs> okay, <sure>. so <laughs> so it's it is a separate entity of a major. Like okay. in some programs, it would be under like you, sometimes you'll see structural engineering under civil engineering programs. Yes. Um, when it when that is the case, it'll tend to be stuff like bridge design will be included too. Um, architectural engineering tends to focus primarily on building structures. Uh, so I got like architecture classes with my engineering classes and things like building systems like HVAC systems and buildings, um, how you deal with with all of that stuff. Um, it may help some of your listeners to know this was by far not my first major in college either. Really? Okay. Um, oh, I think I, I think I read it in your book that you changed <laughs> three times or something. Yeah. Do you want to walk me through yeah. that? Yeah, I'm happy to do that because like th this kind of goes to how we think about career decisions as well. Um, so I start like I think a lot of us were like, okay, we were exposed to certain fields or industries in high school. You know, maybe a counselor said you're good at 
XXX. Maybe you were fortunate like me and had two parents who were scientists. Um, so my first major was in science. I was a biochemistry major going into college. Uh, I completely bombed freshman chemistry and I took AP chemistry in high school. So this was kind of an eye-opening experience, but not only did I completely bomb it, it was really boring. I was like, <laughs> okay, like th this is not gonna hold my interest. Like it, it, this is not gonna work. Um, so that that didn't work. So I'm like, okay, let's try computer engineering. I like computers, I like coding stuff. I think, I think that sounds interesting. Yeah, that didn't work out so well for me either. Um, so like the very first class, it was another one of these, this is a slog. I can't imagine doing this for like the next semester, let alone the rest of my life. So then, uh, I had a friend who I played uh, tennis with mm -hmm. and he showed up to play one day with this building model, like literally made out of like balsa wood, with little trees on oh, it very cool, and things like that. And I'm like, and I knew he was an engineer because we had been like studying in the math classes. Like we were study yep. buddies for some of the other classes. And I'm like, what engineering class do you get to do that in? And then he's like, oh, well, my major's architectural engineering. So that was my first exposure to it. Mm -hmm. uh, I took one class in that major, I fell in love and I just, just went from there. So then you graduated, I think you, what, you graduated in 2002, is that, yes. is that right? Yeah. And then you started your first job. So can you tell me what that first job actually was and what your experience was with that? So first, this is my first like eye-opening experience as being an engineer. Um, so I graduated right after the night, like during, there was a little mini recession right after 9-11. Mm -hmm. um, and I think, I know I had went to college thinking, oh, scientists, engineers, STEM folks, it is easy to find a job in those fields, right? Like we have, I I'm pretty sure someone, more than one person told me that at some point. Oh yeah. Um, I definitely, I definitely heard that. Oh, go into engineering. It's a really safe, safe bet for you. You'll always yes. find a job. <laughs> yes. It was not so easy to find a job. Like I sent out resumes all over the place. I even had interviews and and you'd have these interviews and people would be like, oh, well, this isn't a good fit. Or they'd just be like, oh, we just decided not to hire anyone. We, I got a lot of that. Um, so eventually I got lucky in that I, I was talking to my peers about the fact I was having trouble um, finding a job, despite the fact I had, you know, on paper, internships, check, grades, check, like everything you're quote unquote supposed to have, I had. Um, one of my peers was like, hey, I interned at this company. Uh, I'm going there full time. They're looking for someone else. Would you be interested? I can pass your name along. Mm -hmm. um, and so I'm, of course, like, yes, yes, please <laughs> pass my name along. Uh, I had a phone interview. I got an offer and I went to work at an architecture firm in Texas. So there is an engineering department in the architecture firm mm -hmm. in Texas. Um, which for some, for some perspective, I have never set foot in Texas ever <laughs> until I went down there All right. <laughs> um, for, for that job. So for listeners, I am located in Pennsylvania, which is like in the Northeast part of the United States. Uh, Texas is in the South and everything you've heard about Texas being its own country is true. Is true. Okay. Is true. Is okay. true. Good um, to know. <laughs> <laughs> so anyways, I feel like my schooling was very gender neutral. Like we had some female professors, not a ton, but like my, my particular architectural engineering was pretty evenly split. I would say 4D60 women, men. Um, sure, I noticed in my calculus and physics classes that there weren't that many, but it like, it never sunk in. It was never like a thing mm -hmm. that I like consciously recognized. Yeah. 
Um, and then like, so there I am at my first job and, and things started happening. So for example, uh, I love to bake to this day. I'm a big baker. Uh, cookies, brownies, like in my family, it's like any sort of like if there's a funeral, if there's a wedding, if there's a holiday, if someone's just having a bad day, we're baking something. Baking something? Great. <laughs> um, and so when I was at this first job, I was like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to bake some brownies. Uh, and of course, like my husband and I were not going to eat them all. So I took some and I'm like taking the rest to work. Mm -hmm. And I took them and put them in a little food niche. And, and then um, I, my desk was right behind it. And one of the senior engineers in the department goes over and takes one bite of these brownies. And like, you hear this sigh, like, oh, these are so good. Yeah. And then the next words out of his mouth are, um, this is why we need women in the engineering department. <laughs> Uh, oh my myself God. and my friend were the first two women in that department. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe there were some before us. I'm not sure, but we were the only two. You were the only two at that current moment. Now, at were that time. there now were the men in the office also bringing in baked goods, or yep. were you okay? So you, it yep. wasn't just like out of the blue. You were the only no. one bringing in food. No, we actually had like a rotating thing where every Wednesday someone would bring in something, like okay. whatever turn it was. Yeah. Um. So yeah, so I was like, huh, I kind of laughed it off. I'm like, what are you going to do in that situation? Yeah. So that was like, probably, that was the first experience I, that has stuck with me. But then like a couple months later, I was sitting in a lunch and learn where there are a bunch of like important people, like owners of different companies in this lunch and learn. And somebody asked, you know, all the, all the people talking were of a certain demographic, primarily older white men. Yep. No offense meant to anyone listening. Right. This yeah. is just a fact. This just is fact. who was there. And somebody asked, raised their hand and asked, um, why aren't there any women owners within any of your firms? Because some, some of the, most of them were like one of multiple owners in their firm. Right. And one, one, one of the guys raised, you know, started talking and he's like, well, we did have one but she decided to choose her family over ownership. And at some point, really, if you're a woman, you're just gonna have to choose. Like it's a it's a choice. It, eventually we're gonna have to choose between family and work. Interesting. Right. Yeah, okay. and, and I know now not to buy into that BS because that's exactly what it is. Yes. But at the time I was so like, I think shocked that those words would come out of someone's mouth this century. Mm -hmm that I like ducked out of the back of the room, ran to a bathroom stall and shut myself in and started crying. Started crying. Um, <laughs> I was so upset because I was just like, this is like completely went against everything I know to be true yeah. and believe about the industry. Um, and, you know, things like that kept on happening, like walking out. I'm sure you've had this in the minds walking out and having to convince someone that you actually belong on the site. Oh my goodness. Right? Yes. I've been mistaken for a secretary more than once. Um, and now I've been asked in, because I am obviously I come in as a junior employee and I've been asked to take notes during a meeting and welcome the new people at the door. And automatically I'm assumed to be the secretary, you know, small things like that. And I, you know, I do wonder whether that will ever 
change. But I do remember one of the first lines, I think, in your book was that you were at a conference and I think you handed somebody your business card and he asked like, oh, I wouldn't take you as an engineer or something along those lines. He was surprised that you were an engineer. Yes, I've now learned to take that as a compliment. (laughs) Um, And that incident happened. Oh, that was like the year before I started Engineers Rising too. Like that was very, that that wasn't like early on. I feel like some of this stuff I could have chalked up to, okay, well, maybe I just look young. Maybe I just look like I don't have enough experience. Um, But lots of it still happened, even when I had lots of experience. Um, And so it, it goes to kind of working on your kind of mental mindset of how you handle these sorts of things, like your incident with the notes. I bet every single professional woman listening is like, yes, yes. that has happened to me. Um, mm-hmm. So one of uh, the ways, uh, if you don't mind me sharing, that no, you can it, kind please. of get around that or avoid being the constant note taker, uh, there's, there's a couple of things you can do. Uh, one is that you can you know, if it's like you are the ongoing note taker in a team meeting where it's like a consistent team and you have a manager, talk to your manager about it. Um, Because most managers will be, if if you invoke fairness, like, hey, I have no problem taking notes. However, I recognize when I take them, that means I can't fully participate in the meeting. And I think it would be great if we rotated this so everyone had an opportunity to take notes and everyone had an opportunity to fully participate in the meeting. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's one thing you could do. Uh, when the very last time I was asked to do this in a meeting, I knew my team really well. Um, and so we were in a mixed team where like I was the representative for the company I was working for. There We were working, we were in a room with like, some, some people were clients and that sort of thing. Um, somebody asked me to take notes and I looked at them and I started laughing and they were like taken aback. And I, and I said, what? I said, I'm like, I'm sure you didn't just mean to ask the only woman on the team in the era of me too, to take notes. Mm-hmm. And he like, looks at me, he smiles. He's like, I'll take notes. Um, Very so good. I found like using, using humor to diffuse what you can is really helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, I've rarely found that like calling someone out in a, an aggressive tone of any sort, that never works. So don't do that. Um, because people don't want to feel like as soon as, as, even rightly or wrongly, even if you call someone out, that's going to make them feel defensive and in, in front of a group of people, which usually isn't going to work out well for you. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why I really advocate either like talking to your manager or like I said, using humor. Humor works wonders in this situation because at this point, like people know these things are happening. Mm-hmm. Um, a quick Google search will come up with a bazillion articles saying that women are asked to take notes more. And this is entirely like true. If you haven't seen this research, it's been shown that in mixed gender groups, both men and other women expect women to volunteer for things more, specifically volunteering for tasks that are never going to get you promoted. So things like taking notes, greeting the folks at the door, dealing with the coffee and the lunch hours and all of that. Mm -hmm. So anything that you can do to push back on that with grace, you don't have to be rude about it, but... (laughs) But understand that every time you say yes to one of those things, that means that the guy sitting next to you is going to be able to focus on honing his technical stuff. Well, you're stuck doing this, you know, this stuff that you probably don't want to do anyways, but you hadn't quite figured out how to 
gracefully extradite yourself from that situation. I want to jump to job hunting. So let's say, so let's say a woman has just graduated her four year bachelor of applied science. She has her degree. She's good to go. And now she wants to start looking for a career. And so what would you recommend is kind of the first step? What should she be doing? Okay. So the very first thing she should be doing, hopefully she's been doing this the whole way along is working on that network. So, I mean, we've all heard the statistics that something like 80% of jobs is found through your network. I just shared a story with you about how I found my first job during a recession was through a network I didn't even know I had. Because, okay, so I'm a very introverted person. Um, Because I switched majors three times, I, and I met my husband my second year of college. So we were dating Mm -hmm. Uh, all through college. uh, He was not in architectural engineering. So like I did not, I expended less than no effort getting to know my classmates. We'll put Mm -hmm. it that way. Um, I was not the kind of person that was going to show up at any sort of like club or like none of that going on. But even with that, I did have the courage to start talking to my classmates and my professors when I ran into this problem that I couldn't find a job. And so So that whole like, you know, you have a network, even though you probably don't think you have a network, because I certainly didn't when I was looking for a job and graduating and all that. Um, So I would say first, make sure you reach out to your peers, your old professors, make sure they know you are looking for a job. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay, so do that first. The second thing to do is to really start thinking about where you want to work. Uh, now, notice I didn't say the second thing to do was to go look at all the job boards. So figure, think about where you want to work. So like kinds of questions you could ask yourself. Do, would I rather go work at a large company, which is going to tend to, you'll get a ton of technical expertise, but you'll probably be like tied into one technical lane, at least at first. Uh, smaller companies, you tend to end up being kind of a jack of all trades sorts of person by necessity. So you kind of get a broader you know, outcome for the industry. Um, but there's advantages and disadvantages to each. So like larger companies tend to have more robust like training mentorship programs. Smaller companies, if they have them at all, you're much more on your own to build those kinds of relationships. Um, so really think about kind of where your personality matches like a company's personality in terms of both size and then like missions and values and all sorts, uh, all those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. Um, I was talking to a young woman last week who she uh, went to work at a company, for example, where she was the youngest person by 15 years and the only woman. Wow. Um, she was not having a good experience. But those sorts of things, you can ferret out, you know, through either looking at the website or when you go for that interview, those sorts of things. Okay, so first you worked on your network. Second, you thought about where you wanted to work. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would even go so far as to make a list of companies that you're like, yes, that would be the ideal place I would like to go. Um, don't worry, you're not getting married to any of them yet. Uh, <laughs> but make, make a list of those companies. Then go look at those companies. Um, I would see if they have any job openings, but I would also look, so like there's a couple scenarios here. Mm-hmm. One is that they have job openings and you're like, okay, they have entry level something I can apply for. So that might happen. The other 
which is probably more likely, especially in the middle of a pandemic, <laughs> is that there's not going to be any openings listed. Uh, so what do you do in that case? Um, so there's a couple things you could do. Once, uh, first, you can try and connect with some of these folks on LinkedIn. Um, what you want to do is you want to look for people in positions that look interesting to you and you can reach out to them and ask them for career advice on, you know, what advice do they have for like a young person trying to break into the field? And you can word that much more nicely than I did to be personal. Um, but what you'll find is most people are willing to give you, you know, career advice. And then if they have openings, the conversation will likely go there at some point. But once again, notice that you're not reaching out to that person because I get this all the time. People will reach out to me and be like, hey, I want to connect with you. And then the second message is, hey, do you have any job openings? Guess what? Well, those people don't get blocked, but I do not answer. You don't answer them. <laughs> I do no. not answer those. <laughs> like who listening likes it when someone only talks to them because they want something. They want something. Yeah. Right. So that that would be that would be the next the next thing I would do. The other thing that I did uh, during so this was so this this would be the fourth time of economic uncertainty slash recession mm -hmm. um, that I have been through in my own career. So the, the second time I was looking for a job uh, was also during one of these, one of these points. Mm -hmm. And what I did is I had my list of companies I wanted to work for. One of them was one I had gotten rejected for when I first, like early in my career, when I was okay. looking for the first job, because they had said they had no openings. Um, but I wrote a cover letter. I wrote a resume. They had no listed job openings on their website. I think I overnighted it to... Like I did my research, I found the owner of the firm and I overnighted it to them. So it showed up in this nice, nice package. And then in there, I said, I'm going to call you in a week to make sure you have it, see if you have any opening. So, you know, I called around and I think five of the six I sent out, they were like, oh no, we don't have anything. The last one I called and, and they were like, well, we were just getting ready to post some openings, but we've been so busy. We haven't gotten around to it. How about you come in for an interview? And I got a job offer from that. <laughs> um, so uh, being proactive about this and not relying on, you know, certainly you can use job boards as a starting point, but understand that sending out 200 resumes to all the job postings you see is very likely not going to get you an interview. Um, it, it's doing your research, connecting with the right people, um, and also just from like a logistical standpoint, making sure that when you do send in your resume, your cover letter, it's very, very tailored to the position and the company to which you're applying. So like the only time you should be using like a, a any sort of a, like, here's my resume I'm giving to everyone. Mm -hmm. Is it like a career fair? That's the only time. Every other time it should be catered, revised, mm -hmm. you know, get all those keywords in there, that sort of thing. Well, it's funny because I have chatted with a lot of people who got their jobs by just reaching out with, you know, there was no posting for a job opening, but they yep. just, but I think the cold call, I think was the, was the word that they use. But I also have a question too about 
when, you know, being hesitant, you know, seeing a job posting, seeing a job available, and it has a list of qualifications, and this may be slightly different for engineering versus other fields. And a lot of people I find, including myself, have hesitated because they don't meet every single qualification listed on this job posting. So what are your, some of your thoughts about all this? Okay, so I think it's really important to understand, and there's been multiple studies that have found this. So women do not tend to apply for a jobs, and this is this is internal postings like for a promotion and external ones like on a job board, unless they have 90% or more of the qualifications they're looking at. Men, on the other hand, will apply, go for it, if they only have 50% of the qualifications. And let's let that sink in for for a moment uh like half they'll go for it Mm -hmm. um and so i think sometimes like especially when you are a woman in a male-dominated field and you constantly feel this need to work harder prove yourself like you feel like you're you constantly have Mm -hmm. to be better yeah um and you constantly have this feeling of like not being good enough no matter how good you actually are like you have no data to support this idea that oh i'm not good enough like that doesn't exist but this this kind of mental i'm gonna call it brain trash Mm -hmm. we have floating around in our heads that tells us we're not good enough is what makes us look at those jobs and say oh well i i'm missing this qualification so i'm not gonna go for it my advice here if you have half of it go for it go for it go for it (laughs) and then also in terms of the actual interview itself do you have a couple recommendations on questions that you should be asking your the company who are interviewing you some of the questions we should be asking to get a better sense on what that company is actually like and whether you'll actually be a good fit for them? Yeah, so I would definitely ask questions around what is what is their professional development program look like? If you ask that question exactly, what does your professional development program look like? And you get like the deer in the headlights stammering. Well, they don't have any don't kind really of professional development one. program. <laughs> that should be a really big red flag to you. Um, the other one I would ask isn't necessarily, I mean, it could be a question, but I would really pay attention to who is in leadership, which you can't always get from who specifically is interviewing you. Um, so let's say you were going to go like run a marathon. Okay. So uh, as a woman in a male dominated field, if you go to work at a company where there is almost no women in management, and definitely no women in a leadership position. It would be like you were running a marathon, but you were starting like 13 miles behind everyone else. So marathon's 25 miles, 13 miles behind (laughs) everyone else. It's not that you can't finish the marathon, but you've just made it really, really hard for for you to succeed and be happy and fulfilled and all those things we want out of our careers because you started so far behind. So if you are the kind of, woman who's like, yes, I am fine with like busting through all those obstacles and ceilings and and stuff myself, go for it. Um, That's not my personality at all. Uh, And I think it's not like a lot of women were like, okay, we went into this field because we like the technical aspects of it. Like we like the work. We were not planning on being like the uh, flag waving feminist in our office like that that wasn't that wasn't part of my plan right Mm -hmm. um 
and so like you can make it i don't say making it easier as a lazy way it's more that if someone else has blazed the path before you number one you have some sort of built-in support where you're at that you can go to a person and say hey i'm experiencing this what did you do when you experience these same things at, at the lower level mm -hmm. um, so i would say those two things are probably the biggest things to ferret out during um, interviews uh, mm -hmm. one question i would not ask um, so uh, any questions around like work-life balance specifically are going to be seen as red flags okay by most employers um, so I wouldn't necessarily ask that question in an interview. Um, if you are doing some sort of Zoom coffee hour or something like that with people that work there, um, what I would ask them is, hey, what do you do when you're not at work? Because if the answer to that question is, well, I'm always at work, grumble, grumble, grumble. Okay, well, that's another red flag, right? But you got the answer without having to like ask that question. Um, you can also look online at the people who are working there, uh, look on their LinkedIn profiles, see if they're doing anything besides just working all the time to be able to see, okay, is this a company that is gonna just like burn people out and spit them out again and hire new people? Or is this a company that's actually going to invest in me and my professional development? Well, it's, it's so funny when you're talking about women in management. So, I mean, I work in mining and there are no women in management or senior roles. Let's talk to this a little bit. Okay. Sure. What do you do if you find yourself in this situation where you are the only one at work? What do you do? So we, I, I always like to start thinking, I like statistics. It must be the technical, <laughs> that's, that's technical great. part let's, of this, let's talk right? About statistics. Yeah. So from a statistical standpoint, a support system whatever that looks like is a top indicator of success for everyone doesn't matter what gender race everyone and so that doesn't necessarily have to be in your office uh, i have had great success like going into industry volunteer groups for example and finding some of those mentors i've also had success going outside of my industry because what i found is that professional women in general so doctors lawyers engineers are like sure they don't have the exact experience of being down in the mine with you right mm -hmm. but it's very interesting that it's like the same experience just with a little bit of a different story Mm -hmm. um, and so having that sounding board, both for when you're struggling as, okay, this happened, am I being oversensitive to this? Because you're usually not going to go and ask your male manager that question, <laughs> no. right? You're like, no, 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 I'm not going to do that. No. Um, or, or these kind of big decisions that you'll often run into as, okay, do I look for a new job? Do I change companies? Do I change industries? All of those big questions, having kind of that third party support system as a sounding board is tremendously valuable. And for anyone listening who, who's hearing this and they're like, oh, I don't have that right now. Like do yourself a favor and start reaching out to people and, and developing that for yourself. Um, I would not be here. Like my, my earliest first mentor was actually my husband. And my first, and I want to say, like, I feel like I'm telling all these stories about my first job. Um, <laughs> no, most of the people, okay, so like all these things happen, but I would not stand here and say like, um, those people were good people. Like there, there wasn't an intent 
to like be mean to me or anything like that. At least not not that I recognize. Mm -hmm. uh, and to this day, I'm still in contact with a lot of them. But I think there was a very different, there was a large difference between what I thought my workplace was going to be like and what it actually was. And there were nights I came home from work and I was like, do I need to quit? Do I need to not be in this field anymore? Like, is every place like this? And, and my husband was able to kind of talk all this stuff through with me. And obviously I didn't quit and kept on going. But I, I say that because I feel like if I had not had that person in my corner from the get-go, I would not have stayed in engineering for 15 years. I can say that with absolute certainty. And it's funny because like a mentor like that sh has showed up for me when I needed them most. So like there's a, a mentor, this one's also male actually, <laughs> that I can point to that I'm like, if I had not met him at this point in time, I don't know that I would have had the courage to start my own company. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I cannot possibly understate the importance of support system and mentors and of the fact that you are going to need, like, I have never had a mentor come to me that just like showed up and said, hey, I want to mentor you. And <laughs> or I take that back. I take that back. I've had like two show up like that, mm -hmm. but it doesn't happen often. And so you're going to have to be the one to be proactive and reach out and just understand that if you choose not to do that, you are very likely to become this one of the many statistics. So mm -hmm. like in engineering, for example, 40% of women drop out of engineering uh, and one in four leave after age 30, uh, which is crazy when you think about how much time and effort and money people have spent on a career and then they're just like okay I'm gonna go and, and they're not they're not leaving to start families they're going to other industries yeah well I think um you know when you mentioned this in, in the book as well that when you actually because you had talked to a bunch of these women I think and figured out what was the primary reason for why they were actually leaving the industry work culture Work culture uh, and work culture. And that was actually universal. So the, the research that's on this and there's a good bit about this out out there at this point as well, even subsequently to after I wrote the book, uh, men and women both cite work culture as the primary reason. Interesting. So for for comparisons, we have one in four women leaving after age 30 and it's one in 10 men. Mm -hmm. um, and I mean, on the plus side, when you have a technical background that is really, really useful in a lot of different industries. So uh, finance, finances, uh, an engineer with an MBA is pretty much unstoppable in the corporate world <laughs> uh, because you got, you kind of have the both, you know, the, the technical and, and the business side going on. Mm -hmm. um, but less anyone thinks like, I think last year was the first year that I saw some statistics that said both men and women left their jobs equally for family reasons, specifically for professional men and women. Mm -hmm. um, if you're if you're in a position now where you're like, this might not be the right one for me. I like to use this analogy because, like I just shared, my very first job, I had multiple nights, multiple weekends where I agonized over should I stay, should I go, should I get a new job, should I go back to school. Jobs are kind of like dating. In that, you're going to kiss a lot of frogs before you find the right one. And it's, it's hard because I think, you know, we've, we've all been brought up through school. If we think about how all of our schooling is up through college, we 
know exactly what it is we need to do to be successful, which to be successful in this context means at the end of it all, you get a job, mm-hmm. right? And you, you study, you know, take your exams, you do your projects. If you fail one, you know, you got to study harder or get help or something for the next one, but you go through this process and then you get out into the workforce and all of a sudden there's no clearly defined, here's what you need to do to get a promotion, let alone here's what you do to be happy and fulfilled in the industry you're in. Mm-hmm. Um, and so understanding that like when you're first starting out, part of your job is going to be to kiss a lot of those frogs, to try a lot of different things in your industry to see where you fit and see what sparks your interest and your, and your passion and the things you're excited to do. I've talked to a lot of women and men as well who have this idea that, okay, I went to school for this degree and now I'm stuck with it. And I had a mentor once tell me that do not let the decision you made when you were 17 or 18 years old dictate what you're going to do for the next 60 years of your life. I wanted to share that because I imagine there's some folks in that place. The issue that I know I'm struggling with, if I, you know, if I do think about switching jobs or going to a different field or whatever, is that in my head, I see it as I'm quitting or I'm, um, you know, letting go of this opportunity that I've been given. And in my head, I'm like, oh, quitter, quitter, quitter in my head. And I can't get past that. So do you have any recommendations for someone who might be thinking a similar thing? Yeah, I do. Because I feel like I have been in those exact, exact (laughs) same shoes. As women in technical fields, male-dominated fields, we have been successful primarily through busting our tails, working hard, being very, very persistent. Like I have been called, like I am literally like a dog with a bone when I want to do something. I'm Mm -hmm. like, I don't care what gets in my way, single-minded focus, I'm going for it. If you tell me I can't, you just threw down the gauntlet. So that's sort of, and, and I know I'm not alone in that feeling. The only problem, like the dark side of that sort of level of persistence and grit is that sometimes we get so focused on a path that we're like, well, if I exit this path, I feel like that makes me a failure. Exactly. Especially Mm -hmm. when you hear those statistics I just shared about the number of women who leave, you're like, well, 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 I don't wanna be one of those. Yeah, and I mean, and I just went through four years of school, a lot of money was spent and I'm like, am I just, if I just wasted all of that time, especially if someone decides to go to a completely different field and leave engineering. It feels like I just wasted all of that time and money. Yeah. So let's reframe this a little bit. Okay. So I am, I I believe that everything you go through is necessary to get you to that place in your career where you are happy and fulfilled and like jumping out of bed every day to go to work. Early in my career, like my plan was to eventually become an owner in an engineering firm. Like I didn't want to start my own company, but I'm like, I I can definitely see myself in a leadership position at, you know, one of the, you know, rising up through the ranks. But here's the thing, like, why did I think that? I thought that because I had this idea that that's what you were supposed to do. Mm -hmm. I had never actually sat down and contemplated is this something I actually want to do? It was only because it was like the next rung on the achievement ladder. 
right? So like, you know, it, it like drive to achieve thing. Mm-hmm. So when I got up to like this mid-level position for me, that's when I started saying, I'm not sure I actually want my boss's job. And that was like a huge oh shit moment for me. Um, and that's when I, those thoughts you were just talking about that, you know, if I, if I do something else, well, I, I quit and I'm not a quitter. I don't identify as a quitter. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so what I started to do, like to kind of ease myself into this was to start to look around. Okay. Okay. I don't want my boss's job. That's okay. What, what do I actually want? And that took me a while to figure that out um, for everyone listening. The whole first chapter in She Engineers is about figuring that out um, because it, it took literally took me a couple of years to get what's in that particular chapter to, to think through this. And what I realized is that number one, like even though, you know, maybe this particular job, this particular role wasn't one I, you know, wanted to go to the next level, there were all these skills I could accumulate right where I was in that role I was in that would help me to kind of grow in the in the area I wanted. Um, the other thing I realized is it is actually really valuable to know what you don't want, right? So like when you have that crappy manager, because everyone, if you don't have them now, you're going to have probably more than one really bad manager. Um, and you're going to learn like, okay, you can either be like, this person is terrible, they hate me, and refuse to hear anything they say at all, even if it's helpful to you. Or you can look at it and say, okay, there has to be gems. This this person can't be all bad. Mm-hmm. There has to be things I can pull out of this. If nothing else, this is, you know, here's how you don't manage people when you get, get to that position. Um, so this is one of the things when we, I ran a virtual event last year and I interviewed 25 very successful uh, women in engineering, women in STEM. Um, and this was one of the things pretty much all of them said that they did was they looked at career failures or, you know, picking the job that was terrible (laughs) Mm -hmm. or, you know, picking the wrong major and needing to go back to school for that. They viewed those as a learning experience as opposed to an obstacle that, that got in their way. And they were able to say, okay, like, yes, this, you know, I had to go through this, but I learned this, this, and this from this situation that I could apply to other situations. like I said, my career plan, like the the grand plan I had when I started into engineering was not at all where I ended up. And that's okay. And I want everyone listening to understand that this is okay. It's okay to change your mind and it's okay for your priorities to shift. Like what you want at the beginning of your career can be different five years in. And that's, that's part of the journey and the experience. Now, I would say, like, you have to enjoy the journey and the experience. What you'll find is if all you're going after is, I want to get promoted, I want to get to the next level, you'll get to one of those levels, and you'll realize you hate where you are. What you're trying to do is keep on learning, but make sure you're enjoying the journey along the way, which I do realize it's easier than said than done because I was not a poster child for this when I, especially younger, because mm-hmm. um, I think a lot of us are just so achievement oriented. We forget to be like, oh, well, like we got to stop and celebrate those achievements along the way too. 
Yes. Well, I mean, I'm definitely one of those people that I was a box ticker. You know, I, I graduated with good grades from high school. I went to a good university, got into a good program. And then I graduated and worked really, really hard for four years. And then I got, you know, I got this good job and now I'm like, okay, I'm here. And, you know, I'm obviously using this as a learning opportunity, but I'm kind of, okay, where can I go from here? And that was my next kind of question from you is, you know, someone who is feeling stuck in a career or feeling like they can't grow in their current career, what would you have recommendations for that? Okay. So there's a couple of reasons. I mean, the first is to figure out why, what is causing you to feel this way? So if it's the case that there literally is no growth path, like no one in your position has been promoted for five years and there's literally no place for you to grow. Like that's, that's one issue. Um, if it's the case that we are in the middle of a pandemic, you're stuck working from home and life is just not so fun right now. Like you're not getting the office camaraderie. You're, you're not loving your home office setup because your apartment is tiny and you have no room and you have roommates and spouses that are constantly talking in the background. Like you have to look at, at what is going on. So if I'm gonna talk to the second case first, only because I feel like a ton of people are in this situation right mm -hmm. now. And that just life feels meh. Like it just, it can be sometimes hard to find joy, right? When all the social connection that we as humans crave and need to thrive is not there like it was a year ago. A Starting a gratitude practice. So gratitude journal, um, journaling, uh, in general, that has been super helpful to me. And I know there's going to be a lot of skeptics on here when I say that, uh, because I was very, very skeptical about this too. But I would say writing down two things. So every morning, I have a little journal, like three things I'm grateful for. Um, and at the end of the day, I write down three things that went well that day. Try it. It's free. As I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw down the challenge here. Try it. It's free. Do it for three weeks and then come back and tell me how you're feeling. <laughs> but I would say if you're like just generally feeling like work is just meh and life is the same, um, try that first before you do anything else. Because a lot of times what we find is that we, it's kind of our mindset and how we're thinking about work isn't optimal, especially when everything else in the world seems like it's falling apart. Now, I'm going to go back to the first, the first case. So if it's truly the case that you're like, I can't grow in the way I want to grow where I am. So you have a couple options. One is you can look for another job. Um, that's actually what I did first the last time I fell into this. And it was actually at that point where I was interviewing for other jobs and I realized I don't actually want those jobs. So that, that's an interesting um, and scary realization when, when that happens to you. Um, but the other thing you can do, uh, and this is specifically valuable for anyone that's listening now that may feel like, okay, like I can look for another job, but my odds of finding one right now are probably not super high. Mm -hmm. um, so what you want to do is, okay, think about what you want to do kind of long-term. Look at the specific skills that role would need and then figure out a plan to develop those skills. Let me give you a very specific example of this. Um, so in the Great Recession, so about 10 years ago, I was in this spot 
where I had, you know, I had enough technical experience. I was a project manager. I was still learning plenty, plenty of things, but I had kind of gotten to this point where I was like, I need to learn some new skills. Mm-hmm. Like this is a little bit boring. Um, and I, and I want to, I want to learn something new and, and it's just not like firing my brain cells as much as it used to. And so I looked around, I'm like, okay, well, I see myself in a leadership role someday. What skills do leaders need? I'm like, okay, well, they need like public speaking skills. They need to be able to network. Uh, They need some like kind of business development kind of marketing stuff. Okay, so how can I get those skills in the role I'm at? Uh, So what I did was I volunteered to go start attending uh, industry events where the clients for the firm I was working at are. And what that allowed me to do is basically develop the skills that I wanted to get in the role I was in. And yes, I had to be very proactive on this. No one came and said, (laughs) oh, Stephanie, do you want to go do this? No. I looked at what I wanted and I kind of developed a plan and then I kind of just pushed it out there casually, like, right? Like, hey, what do you think about this? And sure, I'll go and do this. Um, And so I feel like for everyone listening today, There are skills like that, that you can develop. And you can also develop them in like a a volunteer roles. Um, So there's there's societies for everything under the sun uh, and making, joining those groups, attending those events will not, will help you expand your network and find a new job when you need one. It also helps you develop all sorts of these skills in a very, like the leadership skills in a very low risk environment where, okay, so I completely flubbed that speech I just gave to a bunch of high schoolers. Who cares? I'm still gonna keep my job, right? But then you you practice that skill. Mm-hmm. Um, and the same thing with like leading groups of people. Like you can do that in those sorts of environments without being worried that your, your job is at stake. Mm-hmm. All right, so I think, I think we'll have to wrap up. I don't even know how long we've been talking, but I feel like, oh my gosh, I still have like a full list in front of me, but I think we actually do need to wrap up because we're going to be here for a while. I think it's already dark outside. So I also want to mention that um, in terms of support group, now you have a Engineers Rising closed LinkedIn group. Is that right? I do. I do. So we have a, um, there's a She Engineers LinkedIn group. Okay. There is, uh, we have a uh, Facebook group called the She Success Collaborative. Uh, I'd also invite anyone. So like I will send out kind of inspiring, empowering meets practical tips Mm -hmm. (laughs) related to, you know, engineers, professional women, all of those good things uh, from our website. So I would encourage like if you you need a little empowerment plus practical tips, please go sign up for my mailing list because you'll get weekly um, newsletters with that sort of stuff as well. Mm-hmm. And that's engineersrising.com. Definitely go check that out. Um, it's obviously a really, really great resource. And if you are looking for that support group, you've just been given a list of a bunch of really great resources and support groups. And I'll definitely leave your contact info in the show notes and as well over on the Women Working Ahead social medias once I announce this episode. And you can also check out, I believe you have a Twitter, Instagram, and then you mentioned the Facebook page as well. So definitely go and uh, check out those and be sure to contact Stephanie if you guys have any follow-up questions or just are looking for any kind of support or if you have any comments, anything like that. I'm sure you'd be perfectly happy 
to chat with anyone who might be having some uh, some issues or want to just chat. Yeah, yeah, always. And just know that like you are not alone in the issues you're experiencing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of times we think we're the only one who has experienced these things, that we're the only one um, kind of questioning if we're in the right field, if we're in the right path path for us. And I encourage those questions, even questions going so far as like, should I even stay in STEM? Um, I, I feel like I, I want to say that because I feel like I'm one of the few that do that. I've actually had people come to me because they're like, I had a coach and I told her I didn't want to stay in engineering. And she like spent the next month trying to convince me to stay in engineering. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, no, not, not every career path, not every role is right for every person. And is there is no shame in doing whatever you can to find the best path for you no matter what industry it is. So I highly encourage you if you're listening today and you're like, oh man, I I could use some extra support, email me, reach out. Um, I typically respond personally to everybody who (laughs) who emails me um, and I am happy to help in whatever way I can. Well, wonderful, wonderful. Well, this has been so, so great. I have learned so much from you. Oh my goodness. I should have been taking notes this entire time, but I was trying to focus on all the questions, but thank you so much, Stephanie. This was so, so great. And be sure guys, if you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to subscribe to the show, leave a rating and review that helps me out so, so much. And I think that's everything. We will chat soon, everyone. 